1: Hi, Mike here with a quick announcement before we get started. As many of you know, Sci-Fi Fidelity was a monthly podcast from January of 2016 until December of 2018. And now that it's been going weekly in 2019 for seven months, it's time for us to take a quick break to recharge the batteries. So with this episode, we're calling it the end of season four with each of the monthly years acting as seasons one through three. And don't worry, we'll be gone only for a month, and Season 5 of Sci-Fi Fidelity will start in September, so the wait will be short. In fact, we won't even be entirely off the air, because we do have some rebroadcasts to share with you, and they're not your typical reruns. For example, next week is our Killjoys mashup, which will share excerpts from all three of our Killjoys interviews that we've had over the years. Then... Each week in August, we'll share some other existing content in innovative ways. And we're really looking forward to our break, but we're also looking forward to returning in September. And we'll be leading off with a very special interview edition with Michael Emerson of Lost Person of Interest. And he's got a new show on CBS called Evil. So you won't want to miss that. Anyway, here's the final podcast of season four. And we'll see you again in September. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 66, Before They Were Famous. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here with a discussion topic always my favorite ones to record i don't know uh, the audience might have their favorites uh, among our show topics our interviews and our discussion topics for me recording my favorite ones to do with you dave are these discussion topics because we get to do a little bit of research and learn some stuff for ourselves that we wouldn't have otherwise discovered
2: <laughs> yeah and look we're talking about before they were famous and obviously famous in genre television <laughs> is sort of relative, yeah. but, but I think the, you guys out there listening, you know, know what we're talking about and you're on the same page with us.
1: Right. And in fact, I had uh, one person on my list that I felt like, ah, oh, that he's not quite famous enough. Let me switch it out with a different one. So there were some interesting criteria for this, what we decided, and this came to us, by the way, this topic came to us via Twitter from Mo Favo and Richard Murray, who separately from each other, sent me a message on Twitter to talk about a couple of the examples that will show up in my list. So I'll acknowledge them when we get to that, but it just so happened that both of them were referring to shows that people that we know nowadays from game of Thrones or from uh, genre shows of today, before they were known for these shows that they're in now, they also happened to be in sci-fi supernatural, that type of show in their past that people have completely forgotten about for the most part. And that's what we want to discover. Before they were famous, they still were genre actors in their own right. So uh, hopefully that's clear uh, (laughs) what we're doing here. And it'll become clear as we move along here. And Dave's got a great example to start off the discussion.
2: Okay. Well, I'm going to go with Lindy Booth who fans of the show, the librarians know her as Cassandra Killian. And as you know, we had the opportunity to, interview her uh, gosh it was around was it last christmas or the christmas before yeah it was right before she was coming on for her hallmark christmas movie season (laughs) last summer right and her character in the librarians suffers from a brain tumor that gives her certain mental abilities and it's a big part of her character she's waving her hands and she sees all these you know mathematical equations but we're not here to talk about her in The Librarians. <laughs> what was which is she show? in before that? <laughs> All right. Well, look, she appeared in three episodes of 2005's The 4,400. But you're saying, well, oh, I know The 4,400. Yeah. And plus, that's got a ton of actors in it.
1: So going deeper into the past, is that what are going Going deeper. Do? Okay. <laughs> at, at age
2: 19, she appeared as a regular on Erie, Indiana, the oh, other yeah. dimension, which is described as two best friends solving weird mysteries, uh, and they also discover secrets in their strange small town. And and okay, that in and of itself would be enough for me. I didn't know the show Relic Hunter. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it. She was a serious regular. But the show I want to talk a little bit about, even though she was only in seven episodes of this show, which aired 2002 to 2003, it was only one season – it was the time travel show called Odyssey 5. Which we talked and to her about during the interview. <laughs> we did. And she was a little bit surprised <laughs> that we brought that up in a good way. Yep. And, and, and what I find fascinating about this is that her character is a departure from the nice girl roles that she typically plays. Uh, look, she does Christmas movies every year for <laughs> yeah, Hallmark. She loves it. <laughs> and in Odyssey 5... After witnessing the sudden implosion of Earth from orbit, a group of Odyssey astronauts led by Chuck Taggart, who's played by Peter Weller, they're sent five years back in time by an alien force to find the cause, prevent the disaster, all of that. But Taggart's son, who was the youngest NASA astronaut at age 22 and is part of this mission, she plays his girlfriend, Holly Culverson. And, you know, she's not a total bad girl in this show, but, you know, she nearly dies from a drug overdose at one point, which looks like it's some sort of an ecstasy like drug. But most of the time we see her in conflict with her boyfriend, Neil, whose obsession with the truth about what happened on the mission puts their relationship in the background. But it was just so great to see her in what I consider a totally different role. Yeah. And I think that was part of the real fun of
1: doing the research for this. And I I definitely thank Mo and Richard for bringing this topic to us, even though they didn't intend to. I said, you know what? This would make a great topic for the podcast. And and Richard especially got really into it after that and kept peppering me with suggestions. But I'm going to start with an example that came to me from Mo. Now, she actually came at me from a completely different angle, which I'll mention. But my example is from a recent topic on this podcast, and that's Lucifer. So Lucifer, of course, you know, is played by Tom Ellis, right, Dave?
2: Right. And as you know, I cover Lucifer for Den of Geek on a weekly basis. So, uh, well, not a weekly basis anymore since it's on Netflix and it dropped all at (laughs) once.
1: (laughs) But Tom, of course, may have not been known to people before he was on Lucifer. But what's interesting is that just like in Vancouver actors in the British scene can often be seen together in strange combinations. If you look into their past and in the 21st century, many of these actors in the UK have probably been subjected to things like, Oh, Hey, it's so-and-so from Downton Abbey, (laughs) you know? And of course, now that game of Thrones is over, they're going to be recognized as that person from game of Thrones for years to come. So it should come as no surprise That although Tom Ellis played the male lead on this horror miniseries in the past called The Secret of Crickley Hall, he was also joined by Maisie Williams, who of course is Arya from Game of Thrones, as his teenage daughter, and Pixie Davies, who was the young daughter Sophie on Humans, which we have discussed on this podcast in the past as well. And Pixie was his youngest daughter. So that's probably not surprising, but you know, we're talking about Tom here, uh, the secret of Crickley hall. He played Gabe Kille, a structural engineer who gets a contract out in the English countryside. And so he and his family rent an old home called Crickley hall, which used to be an orphanage in world war two. And this move is seen kind of as a therapeutic move for his wife because she hasn't quite gotten over the disappearance of her son, Cam, who, was the brother to Maisie Williams and Pixie Davies when she fell asleep one day at the playground and he just kind of disappeared. So there's a lot of ghosts in this series that kind of made me feel like it was a genre show. There's a, some kind of dream link between cam and his mother. And it's more of a psychological thriller than it is a supernatural show, but I felt it was close enough. And the story is told in two different time periods modern day, and then 1943 when Crickley Hall was still an orphanage. But Dave, guess who was the groundskeeper back in 1943? Someone that we have enjoyed in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Think U.K. here.
2: Well, uh, the entire U.K. Do I, do I get to go to <laughs> Scotland as well? Sure. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ian DeCastiker of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: Yes, indeed. Ian DeCastiker played Percy Judd. Very small part, but... Ian DeCasker was why Mo was getting in touch with me on Twitter about this show because she happened to notice that Ian was on it. And she's a listener of our Agents of Shield podcast. So I thought that was really cool connection. And to see Tom Ellis in there, to see Maisie Williams in there, it was just too great of a coincidence. And so that first topic, I decided to go with Tom Ellis since he was in Lucifer recently and was in this Crickley Hall miniseries. It was only three episodes. But since they did actually bill it as season one, I figured it qualified as a uh, as a TV show, (laughs) even though there was never a season two. Right.
2: All right. Well, my next actor is Gina Torres, who most genre fans know from Firefly. Arguably, that show that is on every list of sci-fi series canceled before their time. Okay. And of course, we know her as a series regular on suits, which is not genre. But you clued me into a show that I'd never heard of. And then, you know, when I went back and did my research, Cleopatra 2525. Yeah. (laughs) And there is a connection to Renaissance Pictures because it, it does have some somewhat tenuous links to Xena and Hercules. But. Okay, so I'd never heard of this. Mike, I went back and took a look at some of the pilot. But uh, <laughs> before I get to that, as I said, series Regular in Suits, which is a 2011 to 2018 legal drama on USA Network. Um, as we said, she was in Joss Whedon's Firefly on Fox. I first encountered her, though, during a guest arc on J.J. Abrams' spy-fi series, Alias. As Anna Espinosa oh, right. who I always felt because I was a, a huge fan of Alias I always felt that as a nemesis to Sydney Bristow she was so underused because she was so great and and she appeared you know I don't know six or seven times spread across four or five seasons so I'm not sure but She also did a five-episode arc on Whedon's Buffy spinoff, Angel, in 2003. Okay, fine. You know, they're fairly well-known shows. But uh, let's talk about Cleopatra 2525. (laughs) And and according to IMDb, an exotic dancer, cryogenically frozen in the year 2001, is accidentally thawed out in 2525 by two female warriors (laughs) fighting against evil robots, of course which have taken over the world and the three joint forces try to escape underground caverns, et cetera. Uh, Mike, what I did notice, though, in the pilot, apparently yoga pants and a bikini top is the preferred uniform for fighting evil <laughs> robots that are attempting to eliminate the human race. <laughs>
1: yeah. this. Why didn't this show last, Dave? I don't understand.
2: <laughs> well, you know, look, clearly there is a camp feel to it. But I think you could also say there was a camp feel to Hercules and to Xena, but they just went too far. And they were certainly banking that fans of those two shows would would be drawn to this and they probably were to a point and eh, look I'm not going to lie there's a lot to like about this series from a visual standpoint <laughs> but uh you know the production values are very low but she is one of the the regulars of it and it probably is cringe worthy when she goes back and looks at it now if she ever does but <laughs> she uh, she denies it ever existed i'm sure <laughs> uh, but you know everybody has to get their start so uh the other thing I found interesting that song, and again, I gosh, I'm, I guess it was early seventies in the year twenty five, twenty five, and and they oh, kind of right. yeah. they use a variation of that within the show. But uh, you know, Gina Torres is, is really got a, a, a pretty solid genre background, and like we said, everybody's got to get their start somewhere, and it just goes deeper than maybe people thought, which is <laughs> what we're getting
1: at with this discussion topic. And in fact, uh, Katie Sackhoff is my next actor that I want to talk about because I kind of just assumed that Katie got started with Battlestar Galactica. And of course, that's what pulled her into the genre fans limelight. And this is a particularly interesting example to give right now because Katie Sackhoff's career hopefully will be getting another boost with her new Netflix space sci-fi series, which just came to Netflix on July 25th another life. So another genre show in Sackhoff's IMDb credits, but before she was Kara Starbuck Thrace on Battlestar Galactica, before she was found by some non-genre TV fans on Longmire recently, another great show that she was in before all that, she played Lenore Fearing on a show called the fearing mind which was a Jim Henson company television production. And like most of the shows we're talking about on this discussion topic, it was a one and done show on Fox family channel in 2000. So there are only 13 episodes of the fearing mind. Sakoff played the daughter of the main character, the teenage daughter. She was 20 at the time, but you know how 20 year olds can, can play uh, (laughs) high schoolers typically. And the fearing mind is kind of a, Horror, suspense thriller, family drama. And the way genre comes into it is it's about a short story writer who gets his macabre ideas from things that happen in his family. And so when he latches on to an idea that comes from his real life, viewers kind of enter his mind and see the gruesome events unfold for his new horror story that he's about to write. So, star Harry Von Gorkum described the resulting plot as a mix of Neil Simon-esque comedy and quite dark X-Files-like horror. So that kind of put it on my radar when I looked up Katie Sackhoff. And again, this was one that was a, a late addition to my list because I had a different actor at this point in my discussion, but I happened to be looking up Katie because of her new show, Another Life, and just happened to see that there was something earlier in her that would fit well with this discussion so that was kind of a surprise cool so all
2: right well we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to have a decidedly game of thrones feel to our
0: next two actors hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
2: All right, Mike, so we are back, and before we took the break, I mentioned we were going to talk about some actors that have a connection to Game of Thrones, and these are two that, uh, as I said, are major stars on Game of Thrones, which just ended its eight-season run. And we just talked about Maisie Williams, so this will be a nice little...
1: Uh, triple play here, <laughs>
2: absolutely, and we talked about Game of Thrones season eight uh, a few weeks back as well. But Cersei Lannister herself, played by Lena Headey, for me came to my attention in the two thousand eight two thousand nine James Cameron series Terminator: The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and and this is perhaps the least obscure
1: early example for our different actors, because I feel like some of our audience maybe already knew that she was in that. And it's also one of the shows that lasted longer than one season, but was still cut too short.
2: Right now you say that, and I'm sure you're right, but I can only speak from personal experience. I wasn't aware of it. So I don't know what the hell I was doing (laughs) in 2008 that I wasn't aware of the show at that time. And of course you and I podcasted about it a, a few years back, but, The fact that she was willing to take on the iconic role forged by Linda Hamilton in the Terminator films, I mean, at the time, it had to seem like an impossible task. And and of course, as a young actor, you're just happy to get the work. (laughs) But I have to believe that she went home every night from filming relatively terrified and again, I'll talk about the fan reaction in a few minutes. But if you don't know the show, I mean, you definitely need to go back. I mean, there there were two seasons. Season one it came on as a mid season replacement, so there were only nine episodes in season one. Twenty two. In the second season, and despite fan outcry, and it did fairly well in the ratings, I mean, as you and I know, if you go back and look at ratings numbers now, they don't mean the same because, (laughs) you know, but uh, season three nonetheless did not happen. If you know the show, it follows the events of Terminator 2 Judgment Day and the Cersei Lannister character with the reddish hair long at the first few seasons, short the rest of the way. No, nope, not here. Very dark, very badass, but she's in a much more active role than, say, her character in Game of Thrones. Look, Cersei Lannister is badass, no question. But here she's handling guns. She's fiercely protective of her son, John Connor as they try to stay one step ahead of assassins from the future that are trying to kill the leader of the rebellion or everybody knows the Terminator story, I would suspect at this point, but not surprisingly, fans were not kind to the English actress cast in this role, complaining among other things that she didn't have the super muscular body that Linda Hamilton developed for T2. And look, I still remember and actually I have a, Terminator Two trading card set, the oh, really? and, <laughs> and leaf through it the other day, and yeah, I mean she really was buff for that role, and and understandably if you know the movie, I mean that was a large part of it, but let's be real, in the Terminator TV series, it's not as if she's this little weakling she handles herself well and and i just don't get the outcry except that uh, again i think we know from experience that fans are just going to find something to complain about and i think that
1: was just in the moment so i think people realize that the legacy of the sarah connor chronicles has improved with time and certainly lena Heaty was maybe not thought well of while it was airing, but certainly people look back on it now and say she definitely stayed true to the Linda Hamilton legacy very much. So. And the fact that she then went on to play Cersei Lannister was just a perfect bit of casting in both cases. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and I have to believe this is a case where she can look back on that role and really feel good about it and know that sci-fi fans really do hold that character in high regard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, And all of the Game of Thrones actors, probably you could do a little bit of research and find some interesting stuff in their past roles. But the one I'm going to talk about is Tyrion Lannister, played by Peter Dinklage. Now, I have to talk about this first from the perspective of how it came to me, because Richard Murray on Twitter was the other person who wanted to discuss obscure shows of the past with me. And he had brought Threshold to my attention Because he had seen that I had talked to Carla Gugino for her Cinemax show Jet, which is currently airing. And he said, oh, did you know Carla Gugino was also the lead character on this show called Threshold in 2005? It was a one-season series. And guess who also was in it? Well, Brent Spiner, who played Data on Star Trek. And Peter Dinklage. And I'm like, oh, I got to see this. So it's a really kind of lame show. That's very formulaic, but what's really cool. If you look at footage on YouTube of Peter Dinklage on the show threshold, he played this character, Arthur Ramsey, who had an addiction to gambling, had an alcohol problem, always had strippers around. Does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little Tyrion like ahead of its time. So it's really hilarious to see these clips Later on. But of course, just like Tyrion, Arthur Ramsey is quite intelligent despite his shortcomings. He's a linguist and applied mathematician. The premise of Threshold is a secret government group has been formed because we're on the verge of first contact with alien species, and the government wants to keep it secret and do it the right way. And Carly Gugino is kind of a crisis management type person, and she's got a contingency plan specifically for alien encounters. So she's put this team together of misfits and Dinklage is one of them. Presumably his role was to intercept and interpret alien language since he had this linguist background. So kind of a stretch, maybe (laughs) a little bit, but, you know, they had Brent Spiner, as I mentioned, he was a NASA microbiologist for the team. It had Rob Benedict, if people know Rob Benedict, who was on Supernatural, he played an aerospace engineer who had confidence issues on the show. So, you know, each one of them had kind of like a skill and a flaw that made them interesting. (laughs) So threshold also like many of these shows only lasted a single season of 13 episodes. And I can't help but notice that CBS does these crisis sci-fi series a lot. We talked about salvation, the meteor headed to earth drama on this podcast And this kind of feels somewhat in that vein. Uh, Is there a topic in there somewhere? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's one of these things that if it had lasted longer than a season, what were they going to do? Eventually the aliens would arrive and something would happen. So probably good that it didn't last longer than that. But a great, interesting cast of characters that probably no one knew that Carly Gugino or Brent Spiner or Peter Dinklage had even done this before. So very fun discovering this along with Richard on Twitter.
2: Oh, I'm surprised you didn't mention The Knights of bad Which one? <laughs> with Peter Dinklage.
1: I mean, I know it's a movie. Oh. It's not a TV show. Oh, okay. That's in his IMDb as well.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I actually saw the movie because Summer Glau is in it. Oh, okay. See, there's always fun connections to yeah, be made. It's a, a bunch of LARPers conjure up a demon from
1: hell, but, you know, hey. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to do a topic one time maybe someday about weird combinations like Peter Dinklage and Summer Glau. <laughs> but uh, that's a topic for another day. So, yes, but of course this is a discussion topic and that means we have listener involvement from our Facebook group. If you haven't joined in on that part of the fun for sci-fi fidelity, be sure to go to facebook.com groups slash sci-fi fidelity and join in because each month when we have this discussion topic, We get examples from our listeners that maybe we didn't think of and the listeners this month did not disappoint. They came up with some additional great examples that Dave and I didn't even discuss today. So let's go ahead and start off with David Hayworth. David Hayworth mentioned Amy Acker being in a bunch of genre shows like Angel and Person of Interest, though nothing too obscure, but she was in Gifted recently, obviously, and a bunch of other genre shows as well
2: yeah not to mention dollhouse don't forget about that david (laughs) uh now kevin batchelder brought up rachel nichols who was in alias before she was in continuum and and that was a show that i absolutely loved and you know if you know the story they're bringing her on for season five to replace jennifer garner who wanted to leave the show Uh, the amicable uh split but uh, i guess the ratings weren't there for season five but she was awesome
1: And then Faith had a whole list of good ones, including some Buffy guest spots from Michael Cudlitz of The Walking Dead, Wentworth Miller of Legends of Tomorrow, and then even some Angel guest spots from Jeremy Renner of the MCU, Jeffrey Dean Morgan of The Walking Dead, Daniel Day Kim of Lost, Summer Glau of uh, Firefly and lots of other things, and Josh Holloway of Lost as well. So those were all mostly guest spots rather than full-blown they were on this show before. They were famous, but still some great examples from the Buffyverse.
2: Right. Now, Joe Herbers mentions a show that I came to late, but burned through uh, both seasons in a little under a month. Ming-Na Wen was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., of course, but she was also on Stargate Universe as Camille. And Travelers, Patrick Gilmore, was also on Stargate Universe. And of course, I had seen both of them in shield and travelers before I had any idea they were in SGU.
1: Yeah. And there's a bunch of people from SGU that I wouldn't necessarily call them famous quite yet. Like Patrick Gilmore might not be as high profile as being now when, but you know, like Jennifer Spence was in SGU before she was in continuum. So lots of examples from that show. And then Taltos ended up our feedback on the Facebook group with a great example. Jensen Ackles of supernatural was apparently in dark angel and Smallville. Uh, apparently. <laughs> well, you knew that. I yeah. didn't. <laughs> and then Anthony Stewart Head of Buffy was in a show called VR5 in 1995, a nice little virtual reality kind of sci-fi show. So that was something I definitely didn't know. And then Mira Kirshner, uh, she's currently on Star Trek Discovery. I know her from Defiance, but she was also on a couple little shows one in nineteen ninety called Dracula the Series, which totally fits in with our discussion today because not necessarily the best show in the world, and also Wolf Lake in two thousand and one so great examples to end up with Taltos because those were definitely in the spirit of of the fun uh research that we did of shows that were not necessarily ones that these famous people want us to remember. <laughs> But normally at this point, we would ask each other, so what's up next on the podcast? But there is no next podcast at this particular moment because we are ending season four, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast. It's just something where we're going to be taking a break to recharge our batteries a little bit. And it's going to be good for not only us, but also for the dearth of topics that we would have had to be able to talk about.
2: Not to mention our marriages.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just to keep peace at home as well. But we will be doing some broadcasts, some rebroadcasts during the hiatus. So don't worry. We have uh, Killjoy's mashup of interviews that we're going to be sharing with you. And I'm going to let the other ones unfold without letting you know ahead of time, just so they can be surprises. If you do want to keep tabs on what topics are coming up, we do always advertise those events in our Facebook group, facebook.com groups
2: slash sci-fi fidelity. This might be the first break you and i have had since we began podcasting together in 2012 that's right i mean
1: even with uh, our other podcast agents of shield is ending in august as well so we'll get a a few weeks off from podcasting altogether so we will see you back here in september when we have a lot of great new topics to share with you but that's going to be it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity keep the discussion going on social media you can follow den of geek on twitter and facebook at den of geek us And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity.
2: And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media, on the Facebook group, or in an email at Sci-Fi Fidelity at gmail.com.
1: Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in September.